Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, fans of Takeaways. Here is another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry, and the March program was titled Land of Opportunity, Development in the Outskirts. The panelists they brought for this one were Keith Ernest, Executive Vice President with Van Trust Real Estate, Doug Roberts, partner with Panatoni Development, and Corey Hunt, Chief Strategy Officer with Tolls Development Company. The moderator was Mariana Honeycutt. She is a practice builder with Kimley Horn. The program sponsor was Schnitzer Properties. All right, there's a lot to set up here before we get into the audio of the program. You know, we've heard for years here in Southern Nevada that land is just scarce, developable land, I should say. There's a lot of land, but it's controlled by the BLM. So these three developers got creative to keep the industrial development party going. That's what each of them develops, so it's important to, to say that up, up front. Uh, Keith with Van Trust, he took a position in Apex, which if you look at the map of the valley, it's in the northeast part. Um, when you go up I-15 towards, I'd say, uh, Utah. Doug took a position in El Dorado Valley, which is close to Boulder City, and Corey took a position in Gene, Nevada, like they bought the entire town. I'll leave Corey to explain it. He shares the story there. And let me tell you, this guy is funny. He is, just listen, he drops a line at the beginning, leveled me. Fantastic. Um, you know, listening through this, the whole panel was just charming. Keith, he dropped a funny line about his alma mater, ASU, and how they better prepared him for a career in development in a way that Harvard never could. And Doug, you know, Doug's been around the NAOP circle for a long time. He always drops bombs of wisdom. But the person who stole the show for this program, let me tell you, it was Mariana, the moderator. You'll hear it right in the opening when she starts. She is controlled and she knows her stuff. All right, I'm going to go away. You're going to hear applause and then you will hear the full program from the moderator and the panelists. Here it is, the March program, Land of Opportunity, Development in the Outskirts. Here's our first slide. So, when we're, our topic is all about land, right? We're going to focus the discussion today on three areas of the Nevada, or the Southern Nevada market: Apex up there to the north, El Dorado Valley, and Jean. Not quite sure why the text is <laughs> looking a little funky there, but uh, so anyway, what I'd like to do is spend the first. And John, I don't know if this is. Let's jump to the next slide. John will jump over to the next one. I'd like to spend the first few minutes to go through each of these submarkets. Let's start with Apex. Keith, can you start by sharing some highlights of your Vantage North development in Apex? Sure. Um, so Apex is a park that is basically around 28,000 square or 
acres. Sorry about that, 28,000 square feet. Boy, wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> Not a whole lot. So 28,000 acres, and they say on the internet, because I looked it up, that about 7,000 of it is developable. Well, heck, we just took the side of a mountain out, and if that's considered developable, then uh, as Mariana discussed, it's, the infrastructure is, has been challenging to get up there. But through the foresight of the city of North Las Vegas, the water line that they put um, up from the armory up to the Apex Park really kind of set the stage finally for the park. And it, it, before we weren't really focused in that area just because the infrastructure was too much of a challenge. Today with the water, now there's sewer, you start to see a lot more development up there because of the investment by the city of North Las Vegas to just start with the water. So, you know, it's, I think things needed to fill in around the speedway, obviously before Apex opened up, so that now that most of the land uh, around Speedway has been, has been developed, that kind of opened everything up for Apex. So really from the northern, kind of northern part of southern Nevada, that's the next stop. So we've always been invested heavily in the Apex Park, or in, in North Las Vegas because uh, of the labor. The labor there is so strong and, and we wanted to continue our momentum in that market. And this was kind of the next natural step for us to take. So we bought back about a year and a half ago. Well, shoot, almost two years ago. We closed April 1st of 21 on 350 acres. That was basically like I mentioned on the side of a mountain. We spent the last two years over the, uh, in titling and improving that land so that we could start and we, we kicked off our first two buildings a 450,000 square footer and a 600,000 square footer back in November. But it took us about 16 months between BLM permits and infrastructure extensions to just get those buildings going. So we have uh, the ability to do about four and a half million square feet there and are excited because we're finally getting, if you drive up there today, finally getting to see the fruits of the labor of 16 months worth of work of getting that site prepped for development. All right, jumping down to the southern part of the valley, Gene, Corey, do you want to share a little bit more on the tolls activities <laughs> yeah, down sure. there? Yeah, sure. What were we, what were we thinking? Uh, <laughs> I asked myself a lot. Um, uh, so thank you for having me here today. I really appreciate it. It's great on a, an honor to be on a panel with Doug and Keith. I feel a bit like a hot dog at a steakhouse, um, but, um, <laughs> but uh, so I have the least amount of hair, too, so I'm kind of... Oh, for three here. Uh, so uh, anyhow, um, Gene Nevada, uh, what were we thinking? Um, so uh, our company, Tolls Development, we're, we're headquartered in Reno, Nevada. Um, our CEO, Par Tolls, was with Trammell Crow for a long time and developed here in, in Southern Nevada with Michael Newman and, and others. And, um, and so uh, one of our institutional partners brought us down to Las Vegas and asked us to look at a project for them. And so we were looking for some other opportunities. I'd always thought that a uh, industrial park on the south end of Las Vegas would be something that would be um, uh, really interesting and compelling from a location standpoint. And so um, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but we ended up buying uh, Gene, Nevada, population zero. Um, so um, uh, it's uh, 140 acres is what we purchased from Terrible Herbst. 
Um, and then we have another 60 acres in contract um, that we'll close on later this year. Um, and we'll build about 3 million square feet there. Um, we did buy a 811 room hotel casino as well, um, where we filmed some movies with Netflix and some other folks. And now vandals are taking it over. Um, but uh, um, uh, so with that came a lot of infrastructure. So basically what we're doing is it's, it's pretty simple. A lot of folks have asked, you know, oh, when's the water line going to get down there and how are you going to do this all? But we bought kind of all of the infrastructure that's necessary and we're taking the infrastructure that serves the, or served the 811 room hotel casino and the former Nevada landing and taking that infrastructure and turning it into industrial. So we bought a wastewater treatment plant which I never thought that we'd do, um, but now I get to be a wastewater treatment operator too. And, um, and then um, we, we, it also has uh, the water and power tied up with it as well. So um, that's, that's the high level overview of Gene and uh, happy to get into it more as the program goes on. Great, thanks Corey. And jumping over to El Dorado Valley, Doug, I know you have a lot of familiarity with this area. Can you share with the audience a bit more on how this area that's shown highlighted came to fruition and fairly recently it's been annexed yeah well first of all we're not having this conversation just so we're clear on that <laughs> i don't want john marciano calling me yelling at me so i'm just going to be really high level forgive me but um this this really is a natural transition from west henderson and the lack of land in henderson proper as as many of you know we kind of zigged when everybody else was zagging to some degree because i was you know, trying to get my ass kicked by Keith up in North Las Vegas and figure I'll go south. And I went to uh, the West Henderson uh, area where it's basically where Raiders Stadium is now, or the uh, headquarters. That, we, that was our first project. Uh, we built that building that Kroger uh, went, went into eventually. Um, Frankie scared the crap out of me because I thought it was genius and it took me months and I go, oh my God, what did I do wrong here? But eventually it worked out because, you know, people started discovering the area and I liked the part, it was in south, south part of the valley, quick LA, LA access. Um, but West Henderson master plan doesn't allow more industrial. Trust me, I tried, and mm -hmm. they, no thanks. <laughs> Even with tenants in tow, it didn't matter. So we were kind of forced to reconsider some options. Henderson, you know, for good, better, and different, they, they wanted to, you know, kind of keep uh, industrial in one area, uh, and, and, and as far as growth grows, and natural was El Dorado Valley. And OMP, to their, their, uh, uh, their credit, they went ahead and bought land down there. Um, I think, I don't know, Dan, are they started construction yet? Are they doing mass green, but I'm not sure if they, yeah. So um, they're the first ones near the, the railroad pass. And that casino actually does pretty well. Um, in my early days in the mid 90s, I used to stay there because I was cheap. Uh, <laughs> and before I was a vegetarian, I used to eat steak that had the jockey mark still on it, if you know what I'm saying. It was not a good place to go. But, uh, <laughs> Take you a while to figure that one out. But, um, <laughs> I, I eventually, uh, it was turned around, and, and it's a nice casino. There's a truck stop there that does extremely well, and then that gentleman bought more land across the street where, where OMP is. So what, what Henderson asked us to do, and thanks a lot to Dave Brown. I don't know if Dave is here somewhere. I think he's spring on break. spring break vacation. Spring break, yeah. <laughs> I'm out of that realm now. Uh, but Dave and his expertise with Weston's company have been tremendous and kind of corralling um, the whole process because of their experience in Apex and uh, headed up our, it's really a public-private uh, partnership with the city of Henderson. And I think to, to their credit, honestly, it's, you know, you, I think people are fatigued with industrial. God knows why. I mean, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, build buildings like this, but, but people are sick of it. I mean, I, I mean, you want your stuff by four o'clock in the afternoon, but they don't want warehouses next door. 
So we're kind of being forced into different areas of town. And as you talked about in the beginning, the BLM uh, ownership of the state and the amount of land that's being basically, uh, you know, available for development is low. But uh, I think these, I mean, everybody asks the same question when you fly in. There's so much land. Oh my God, I've been doing that for 25 years. And everybody, every broker here goes, well, that can be developed, that can be whatever. So it's, it's a pioneer. And it is interesting we're all from out of town because nobody here is dumb enough to do this. But I think <laughs> maybe, I'm, uh, maybe I'm missing something. But that, I can't go into much more detail than that. But that's kind of the high level. Well, I appreciate it. This next question that I have for our panelists really just kind of jumps in at a high level. Uh, when I learned you know, of these developments and kind of the early stages, I, like many of you, I probably thought, how, how and, and why? You know? mm -hmm. So uh, to the panelists, what was your vision in selecting these properties? Why, why did you pursue these areas? Do you want to start, Keith? Sure. You know, it's, it's funny because we, I've thought about this quite a bit, and the inspiration I actually got was Doug's so nice, he says, hey, Keith, you know, got me in, in Las Vegas, but Doug, you know, dominates up in Reno, and so we've tried to penetrate that market, but, you know, because of Doug and some of the other folks up there, we just haven't been able to, but we tried. And we had a, a parcel of land that we were looking at that was on the side of a mountain. And I looked at it and I just said, man, there's just too much that needs to happen from an earthwork perspective. And I looked and she said, it just isn't for us. So six months later, we looked and I talked to the broker and I just said, okay, who's doing that? Well, Doug Roberts is. And he's you know, taking down the, the mountain and he's doing what he needs to do to get, I can't remember, Doug, how big that park is, but five or six buildings in the North Valley where nobody saw the vision. So that kind of inspired us because Mason Harvey had been toting this parcel around uh, Las Vegas for a long, long time, right? And Speedway needed to fill in a little bit. So we, you know, as we started to lose position and market share because we were kind of done with everything that we had purchased. We actually sat down with Mason Harvey and I said, gosh, if Doug Roberts can do it in Reno, and that's a true story, by the way. So <laughs> to your credit, I mean, you got us back in business down here because it was, we looked at it and we just said, hey, there's a lot of infrastructure, but with uh, our ownership and the capital structure that we've got with Mr. Vanta, we've got the ability to take those kinds of risks. And that's what it takes because the infrastructure there, you know, up at Vantage, you know, arguably could come in twice as much as the land cost us. So you really got to look at it from an improved land perspective and see that you can still be competitive in the market. Now, fortunately, in Southern Nevada, rates have just gone crazy, even more so than my hometown of Phoenix. Um, and so we're able to underwrite successfully, you know, even when you have those significant infrastructure challenges and costs. So when you put that all together, you say, okay, hey, how many people out there will have the ability to develop 300 acres of industrial land in that speedway area? And you really could, you'd have to go all the way up to Apex. And Apex still hadn't proved out yet. Uh, so we took that opportunity and just said, heck, let's roll the dice. We've got the capital. We've got the ability to do it. When we started with Northgate back in 2015, we put $15 million worth of infrastructure into the land before we even turned a shovel to build the first building. So it, with that mentality you can, and, and that capital, you can go ahead and take those risks. Because in this market, when you've got 1% vacancy, rising uh, lease rates, it's, I don't want to call it a no-brainer because there's always risk, 
but it's a pretty good bet to continue in southern Nevada when, when it's so land constrained. That's great. Corey, how about Gene? I mean, that's pretty unique. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, I, I think as we were looking at the Las Vegas market, we obviously love, love the market and, and wanted, to be, wanted to be in business down here. Um, we took some of our experience in the north. Uh, there's a, a place called the Tajarino Industrial Center. It's where the Tesla Gig Factory is. And um, we built a couple million square feet out there. Um, and so we, that's, that's 30 minutes from Reno, downtown Reno, uh, along a river corridor, two-lane road that gets shut down every day in the winter. Um, and so with people that we, there's 25,000 people that work out there. Um, and so we kind of saw that Gene, I think everyone thought it was too far out of town, but with our experience, we know that people are willing to drive. So we looked at the average drive times in Las Vegas is about 25 minutes. Um, you drive from basically Harry Reid on the 15 south 25 minutes if, if uh, you've got a little bit of a heavy foot and you can be in Gene. So we were, we were uh, confident there. We looked at the workforce, we looked at housing and, and said, you know, hey, Gene could be a good opportunity for us. Um, and then what we really liked is that you could do a one day turn to the Port of Long Beach. So um, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, you know, requires that cab, cab time that a truck driver can only be driving for 11 hours of a 14 hour shift. And so those individuals can take a load from the Port of Long Beach to Gene and back in one day without having to stay overnight. So it kind of sets us up to be a little competitive with the um, Inland Empire and the Southern California markets, um, where we're he hearing deals in big box are starting with twos right now, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> um, so, so we like that. And then we also like that it's kind of in the path of progress. So the Southern Nevada Lands Bill, um, when that eventually gets passed, was scheduled to add 38,000 acres between Henderson and Gene, basically ending at Gene um, on the uh, on the east side of the 15 there, and so and then you add in the SNSA, um, which will come about, and we're kind of right in the middle, and so it's a bit of a long-term play, um, but trying to skate to where the puck is going to be, and uh, and we, we we also liked that we had some infrastructure that we could turn on pretty quickly, um, so that we wouldn't have to wait for water lines and carve the sides out of mountains and things like that but <laughs> Makes so sense. that's 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 why we uh, that's our vision for Gene so now we've got to see it through Doug anything to add for the El Dorado Valley area uh, well really it was at the behest of a client frankly I mean I, I looked at the area had some interest because of the obvious there's lack of lack of other space to develop and always had a really nice relationship with the city of Henderson so but it was their behest for me to go down there and put land under contract, and then there's excess land for us to develop. So it was more of a, um, yeah, this makes sense after looking at it for a while. But I think what Keith was talking about, like in Reno, where the whole thing is cut to fill, which, you know, again, your neighbors aren't real big fans of that because you're, you know, in that particular park he was talking about, we did phase one across the street and phase two, the site I think he was talking about. It's 4 million feet at, at final completion. We moved about 1.6 million cubic yards of dirt um, so you have to tier everything, and your coverage goes down to 30, 35% when you want to get 45. So your price per pound on your under your building goes up because of that. But you just have to take extraordinary measures these days. The infill sites, that, as the introduction talked about, they're either non-existent, they got too much hair on them. Um, I do work for a very, very large e-commerce company. You can guess who it is. I'm the national guy for them across the North America. I've done some weird stuff in weird areas where, like, oh my God, what are we doing? Canton, Ohio, I just did that last year, finished it up in fall, this million square foot deal on a, on a 
golf course, 100-year-old golf course. And there was a wedding venue on it, and a bunch of dudes were working on the project, and we go, oh, I forgot to tell the brides that we're going to tear their wedding venue down. You know what? They cared about that. So you have to do a little bit, you know, be more creative when you're going into different areas, and Vegas, is not, there's nothing, nothing different. I mean, you have, you have things you have to do to get it done, and because the demand is so high, uh, you're willing to do it. And also, I think, you know, I welcome the audience input, but the flattening of rates in the valley has been something that's pretty substantial. When I first got here in late 90s, if you, if for easy math, a dollar by the resort corridor, 60 cents in North Las Vegas, 85 cents in Southwest, and 75 cents in, in, in Henderson. I mean, in rough math, if you can understand what I'm saying. Now, it's like everything's flat. So if you're building in Eldorado Valley, up in Apex, Gene, it's not going to be the delta that we saw before. There will be, of course because of drive time and employee rates, all that kind of stuff, especially if the market softens. So that's been an interesting dynamic where you're able to build these outlying areas and your returns are still okay. They're not, you don't have to suffer the ones used, you know, if you're not near the resort corridor, you're not gonna get the premium. Not, not like it used to be anyway. Excellent, thank you very much, Doug. So I know land prices historically have been a driver for development and a big driver for development in the areas, although land prices are increasing now. So what other factors have been major drivers for these areas? And, I, and before uh, kind of jumping in to answer that question, I guess I want to direct this more for Keith and, and Doug right now because the Apex and Eldorado Valley sites reside in these master plan areas. What are some of the unique benefits being part of the master plan? I'm thinking timing, coordination, agreements, any kind of contributions. Can you touch on that? Go ahead. Sure. I think the first thing, in, and Doug mentioned Wes Adams uh, and Dave Brown, they're also the master to clear it up at Apex, so they've done a ton of work. I think the biggest advantage that we've seen in being part of that association is the kind of the collaboration to move things through the BLM because that's not the easiest, most expeditious process and is usually the thing that uh, is the mission critical thing from a time perspective on our development. So it's the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, I guess. And, and when you say, hey, you're with the Apex group, you know, uh, Apex has hired individuals to go ahead and try and process through the BLM. That's their only job. So we can't afford to hire somebody just to bug the, the BLM, but our association certainly can. So that's been a benefit. It's also good from a design perspective and guidelines and those types of things. So you're not, it's, there's, there's harmony uh, amongst the uses. So I think that's really important. So you don't really have uh, conflicting uses. So I, you know, you, you always, dread the HOA, and we've moved into a HOA uh, in Phoenix a couple years ago. It's like a fear of the HOA. But in this circumstance, it's good because it, it's, everybody's kind of pushing towards a common goal, and everybody's driving towards infrastructure. And if you're trying to compete with everybody and do it on your own, it's just not as productive, not as fast. Uh, so we found that to be kind of a nice benefit of being part of that group. Excellent. Doug, how, how about you? How's your experience been working in conjunction with the master plan? Yeah, some some experience. I would say I'd, I'd like to see if any developer in this town has ever gotten reimbursed for infrastructure they put in the ground. Rod? Ever? 
There's a formula they use. <laughs> you, I was on Sunset. I think Chris wasn't at Jones and Jones and, and uh, Sunset. We built a project there, and then we did the one for Shuffle. Now it's Bally. Now it's UFC. Um, you you have a pro rata share of reimbursement for your water line, right? It's pure BS. I've never ever ever got reimbursed. I put the pipe in the ground. I did this. I did that. Cost me all this money. Oh yeah, well you'll get paid back later, right? So in this case. Because it's a master plan and you have the infrastructure being planned out and everybody has a pro rata share, the fear of the unknown at least gets decreased. Because that's spent money that you're never going to get back in, the, in, the, in a scenario like infill sites, because you, you know you're never going to get it back. And, and Carl Pantone, when he has like 10 Carlisms, one of them is the best guesser is the best developer. And if you make the right guesses, you're going to be the right, you know, you'll build the right project. So if you can eliminate your guesses, then that's going to be a fruitful thing for you. In this case, you know your infrastructure costs are. You have a pro rata share. Like he said, it's congruent. Everything's you know, in the same area, and everybody's not going to be yelling at each other for, unless you're yelling at Kroger for having trucks on your street, which, or Amazon or whoever, because it happens all the time. But at least the uses are the same. You know, you're, not, you're not having houses and apartments next to a, a, you know, industrial buildings. So in that standpoint, it's been great. Corey, Gene is fairly isolated. It's surrounded by BLM land. It's adjacent to an air, the Gene Airport and the Southern Nevada Supplemental Airport, which many of you probably know, abbreviated as SNSA, um, that their whole planned area. Uh, who have been the key players in, in all of this, and how has politics come into play? Uh, good question. Um, I think, I think, uh, I mean, the key players are kind of the, the county you would expect. Um, so we've been we've been working through that. We've been working with the Las Vegas Valley Water District. So when we first looked at the property, of course, we uh, wondered where the water was coming from and how we could serve all those properties and called the water district. And they said, nope, there's no water. OK, is there a waiting list? Nope, there's no waiting list. Um, it's all appropriated in that basin, all the groundwater. Um, but then we got into the deal more and found out that the casino uh, and the properties had had uh, you know several hundred acre feet that were tied to those properties, so that's where the water came from. So the water water district has been key there, and we're going to have some improvements that we'll do for them in terms of backup wells and and things like that to ensure the the long term service to the area. So that's been a big one, um, and then just working with the county and getting used to the county process. Um, we're we're spoiled in in Reno, where especially in the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center, where we closed on. Uh, three parcels uh, that we merged last March, and our roof structure was finished three weeks ago, and we closed in Jean uh, uh, at the same time last March, and we still haven't been able to move any dirt yet. So we're a little spoiled there, um, but one of the challenges that we've had is, is um, 20, we're lucky enough to have 27 square miles that drain to Jean, and so we've been modeling that entire watershed to uh, handle all the stormwater flows from that. So that's been a, uh, a task. And then um, we also have NDOT. Um, we've got the communities of Good Springs and Sandy Valley that we're working with because there's concerns about traffic on, on Good Springs Road there. So just kind of working through that. But it's been, it's been a pretty smooth process. Excellent. So I just want to take a moment, a quick reminder that we do have a Q&A session at 9 o'clock. So please jot down those notes. Where's Dan at? Dan, can you stand? He's at the oh. back of the room there. So if you have questions, please do feel free to run back and give Dan your questions. I know Jalen's over there in the far corner as well, waving his hand. Um, we'd love to hear your questions at the end of the program. 
So I want to switch gears here and let's discuss product type. It seems to me that we're increasingly seeing this demand for these large, I call them bombers, right? One million square foot build to suit product, um, logistics type facilities. Spec doesn't seem to be as prominent at the moment. And in fact, some developers are actively pivoting away from their spec programs. Why, why is this? Money. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I've been doing this since 1989. 100% this is the best market we've been in for the last two years, until July, August of last year. But given my time in the business, I knew it. So, you know, you, you have to be, like in 2008, I knew we were going to a problem. You, after a while, I go, this is not going to end well. And of course, it did not end well. Um, but in 20, I'll try to be brief so I don't um, dominate. But in, in 2020, March, remember we all shut down. By June, I was back on a plane because the industrial market exploded. And, and especially that e-commerce company I told you about, they said they were running at peak, keep, peak capacity. We end up delivering over the next two years, 45, 50 billions for them across North America. It was, it was amazing. Um, and so from my experience in COVID was way different than most people. And I felt blessed, but I also felt sorry for people who were losing their jobs and the, the illnesses, all the things that were going on with that, that period of time. But at the same token, it, it spawned the greatest industrial uh, boom I've ever seen. And cap rates just dove down to nothing. Um, I, you know, I, I closed on two deals last year at three and a quarter. And I just felt blessed and I, I just like, my God, this is not gonna supposed to happen this way. Of course, the pendulum tends to swing and it has swung. Um, Capital is running for the hills. Uh, banks are failing again. It reminds you of 08 and everybody's having PTSD. I, I, I cover my clock every night. I turn it around. I've done that for 14 years. I don't look at the clock because I know when I wake up, I'm not going back to sleep. So I'm not having that same problem. I'm not financially in the same position I was 14 years ago. But I, you know, as a country, it should worry us what's going on right now. Where interest rate hikes have a huge detrimental effect on our business. We, we lived and died by cap rate compression. It yields went like this, cap rates went like that. As long as those two stayed apart, we were fine. And it did. Interest rates, you know, we had 13 years of basically zero interest rates. It's not sustainable. It's asinine. Anybody who's been on Earth long enough knows that's not a sustainable model. And sure enough, the rates went up. SVP, if you read about what happened at that bank, they bought long-term treasuries at 1%, marked to market, killed the bank. Hmm. Stupid. But that's another story. But anyway, capital right now is the reason why we're not building. And, it, and I, I think last year, I guessed, of the pipeline, 40% would, would come off the top. I think now 80% is going to come off. And you, you look in the history books 10 years from now and go, it was a 1% market with rising rates. What are you guys doing? Nobody has money. So for us, we have to put more money in the deal. Capital is going to the sidelines. And, and you know we're financially in a position where we can wait it out and maybe buy some deals. But it's not going to be good for a while. But it was the perfect storm also, I mean, the good storm, because construction costs were also flat. And you didn't see a whole lot of increase there. So what Doug was talking about, it was the greatest, I mean, it was the best of times. It was the best of times. I mean, it was like nothing we'd ever seen before. I'm quitting right now. So <laughs> right, right. So it was, it was build, 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 right. build. Cap rates lower. Yeah, interest rates low, so your, your construction loans were low. It just was the perfect time and we took advantage of it. 
And going back to a little bit of what you were talking about, Mariana, from the land perspective and the scarcity and land pricing, really, from a variable perspective, that's about all our construction costs are about the same, all our soft costs are about the same. Really, where we make money is on the buy, on the land. And so, but when people say, okay, you know, your buy didn't comp out, you know, you paid too much or whatever it was. Well, maybe from a raw land perspective, you got to look at everything these days from a improved land perspective and understanding the difference. I mean, throw comps out the window because no two parcels of land are the same, same shape, same yield, uh, infrastructure costs that, that are related to getting that first building started. So when people say, well, we bought that for three bucks a foot and you're in at eight. Yeah, well, fully improved, I'm in at nine and you're at 15. So I love Doug's comment. That's uh, Carl Panettone, the, um, it's the best guesser is the best developer. Certainly they don't treat, uh, teach that, that class at Harvard. I think they did at ASU where I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, sometimes it's better lucky than good. And when you've got the capital behind you and the gray hair, the experience, to understand, and okay, where's, where's the puck going to be? Where, where can we create value? It's on the front end, really trying to capture it during construction and hoping for interest rate changes and those types of things. That's when you get in trouble. And people were jumping in, you know, pretty much blindly just to get into this industrial craze. And, and those with some more discipline and kind of understanding what that improved land cost really was, that's back to fundamental real estate and that's where people make money still in a market. Doug's right, it's about the money now and these are challenging times. Uh, but a lot of us have put ourselves in positions, I think with these three plays that we're talking about today, you know, the market's still at one and a half percent last time I checked from a vacancy perspective. So for guys like when we came to this market seven years ago and it was five, down in Phoenix it was 12% vacancy. We were like, go, 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 go. We're still at one, one and a half here. Activity's still really good. So we're bullish. We just gotta be a little bit more careful than it was craziness, you know, whatever, a year ago, right? They said it all. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we're still looking big box um, spec. So we'll start with uh, 455,000 square foot where the old Nevada landing site was, if anyone's familiar with that, and then uh, a million square feet. Uh, across the street or across the 15. So, but, the, but the canary in the coal mine is tenant activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. If that goes down, then all bets are off. Yeah. Then I might be manning the casino uh, <laughs> <laughs> or living in it. <laughs> we'll see. So the, the types of tenants you're seeing, what, what are their, what types of tenants? You, and you don't have to say companies, but what are we seeing more manufacturing, more robotics? What, what are you seeing coming to Nevada? Good question. I mean, I, I think it's largely e-commerce still. Um, so we're we're looking at we're, we've you know got some interest from a couple different tenants, all e-commerce. Um, I think they they like that play and and like the market. I mean, look, we like I think as Nevadans, we a lot of times we bash on California, but one percent leakage from the fourth largest economy uh, in the in the world is is not a bad thing for Nevada. So even as you know, we always say Gavin Newsom's the best um, realtor in Nevada. Um, and uh, um, he, uh, 
so, so if you know, I think we'll keep to continue to absorb some of that that leakage from Southern California and, and those distributors. Our soaps across the board, frankly. So, I mean, we have a pretty uh, substantial border policy on border plan. Rather, I, we have 100 acres we bought in El Paso to take advantage of nearshoring and onshoring. COVID did change our the way we manufacture in this country. It's going to be a lot more in Mexico. Um, both Asia, Europe, United States investment in Mexico. So I see that as a huge driver of industrial real estate along the border states. Um, you know, Yuma, Laredo, McAllen, Texas, El Paso are going to be benefits of it. It's amazing what goes across that border every day, you know, other than political issues. But we're, I think for me, um, you see manufacturing from California because we have one tenant in Henderson that they said that California didn't want them anymore. It's sad to say, but that's true. I mean, I'm native of California, and I've lived there for a long time, and I moved out of there for various reasons, but um, they continue not to make it fun to do business in California. We're going to be the recipients of it. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why there's 40 million people, and Keith and I both have homes there, because it's a beautiful state, other than this politics right now, but, um, and the taxation policies and all the other stuff you get with it. But I think it's across the board. 3PLs especially are a big deal right now. Right. Yeah. That's coming. what we're seeing. Yeah. That was the only thing I was going to add. Sorry. We're saying, no, no, no. <laughs> That's fine. A uh, lot of 3PL activity actually in Phoenix, because we all do regional, we're seeing a lot of manufacturing. And that's kind of the first time in Phoenix that we've seen that. And a lot of that is probably attributed to the expansion of the Intel plant and the TSMC. So we're seeing an influx of offshore you know, talent investment uh, going into chip manufacturing down in Arizona. And so that's positive. They looked at California and said, no, no thanks. Um, so we're seeing increased manufacturing users that we hadn't seen in a long time. Yeah, and that, that kind of segues to the next question I have here is, you all have great experience outside of the Nevada, the Southern Nevada submarket as well. How, do you have any notable contrasts relative to the, the other markets that you're involved in? Or what are those notable contrasts? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that we're spoiled with the Tahoe Industrial Center. I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily what every jurisdiction needs to do, but um, you know, building permits and it, it, grading permits in two weeks and building permits in six or eight weeks is uh, not a bad thing. So, so I think that's that's a contrast for us. But um, I don't know. Do you guys have any other big contrasts? I mean, certainly ease of development is, yeah. is almost every measure of what makes an area more attractive than others. And I think Reno in the last few years has become much more difficult to build in. And I think a lot of it's fatigue. I think people just are, I'm done. I don't want any more mm -hmm. warehouse in my neighborhood. And the council members reflect that. Um, luckily, as a resident, and you know, we've been there for 20-some years, we have relationships and we're trying to be good, you know, good stewards of the, of the, of the area. But, I think it's a lot of times there's a, if it's easy to develop there, that means there's not a lot of development going on. Um, and back in the early days of Amazon, like three years ago during the pandemic, people were begging Amazon to come in. And now it's like, eh, not so much. So it's ease of development is probably the biggest factor I see from place to place. If they really want you there, it's so much easier. But frankly, it's because there's not a lot of demand. So it's, it's a double-edged double sword. Yeah, makes sense. So I know we're coming up on our Q&A session here shortly. I have one final question for you all. What are you most proud of? This is not time to be modest now. What are you most proud of that set your deal apart? That's really easy for me. I think I mentioned the Northgate uh, distribution center that we did back starting in 2015. 
I think the first building was delivered at the end of 16, and it was the infrastructure that we put in. The day that we turned on the fire hydrant, from having to take water, sewer, and electricity, uh, electricity was three different substations, it was water a mile, sewer a mile and a half. Guy Martin's back there nodding his head saying, yeah. But it wasn't really when we signed our first Amazon deal, it was the day we turned on the fire hydrant and water came out. And that sounds kind of corny and, and it's like, what is this guy talking about? When you sell those assets, you monetize and everything's great. No, it's the ability to get these things going that's the challenge. And that's the challenge in the Southwest. We see it in Phoenix. We see it here in Nevada. Those are the kind of bellwether events that, hey, turning on a fire hydrant was the highlight of your career. I guess we go back to my ASU education, but um, that is something that when you look and you have the commitment, you, you say, hey, I'm committed to spend whatever it was, year, year and a half to get that infrastructure in because I believe in this market so much in the longevity of the market. We're not here just to you know, do one and then leave. It's, hey, we're here to stay, and this is something that we want to make a big investment to. Because Doug said it, how much reimbursement have we gotten on the infrastructure that we put in? Zero. So you're really investing in the long term you know, uh, of, of the municipality. And, and I think that's why they process the permits and, and things so quickly, is because they see your investment in those types of things. But, that was the highlight, is, is the working with the teams, the engineers, the city, all our consultants to get that finished so that we could start building buildings. Doug, how about you? I, I think for me, we built millions of feet in the valley, been here a long time, but it had to be Wes Anderson. I think that's the, that was kind of a, not a swang song, because I'm not dead yet, but <laughs> it, it was my chance to kind of pioneer an area, and, and it took me a while to get my arms around it, like, okay, I remember going to Collier's and meeting with Terry Manley and, and Dan and his team and kind of you know checking the market. And, and I talked to the brokers and said, what do you think? And they all had the same opinion, it makes sense. But again, having that chance to kind of master plan the area, did not buy enough land. Um, we paid 425 a foot, should have bought more. Right. Um, and Dan, I remember Dan told me, oh, this could be 12 bucks in two years. And I said, you are foolish. <laughs> um, and it was 20, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you undershot it. Um, <laughs> But the same thing, that, that one was tremendously successful. Chris Abbott did a great job. Um, it was one of those things where we kind of went from one to another. And in an ideal world, you can kind of do that. You don't have to buy all that land at once because the carry will kill you. And that was, that was just such a cool thing to see. And I wish there was more down there, but there's not. So, Corey. Proudest moment in Gene, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> um, we had 355 title exceptions on the title report, so that was fun to work through. Um, I, I, would, I would guess closing was <laughs> talking someone into buying this with us uh, was a good one. Probably walking our wives into the, the vacant casino and seeing the looks on their faces when we said, honey, I bought you a casino. Um, that, was, that, was, that was pretty good. Um, were you in but, the movies? <laughs> what's that? Were no, you? we're not in any of the movies, and they canceled that Netflix movie we filmed, too. But, um, that's all right. I was going to be a zombie in it, but um, <laughs> no. I think I think we're just excited that we were able to get get it over the finish line, and, and that other people saw the vision. I know a lot of people in here probably still think we're pretty crazy, and sometimes we do too. But um, but I think folks have kind of come around and said, you know what? That seems like it might be something that, that could work, and 
and our capital partners felt so too. So that was that was a that was a proud moment for us. So the real question is, are we all invited for the demo party? Oh yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> going to be a good one. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm going to pass it off to Dan now. It looks like we have lots of questions. Uh, Dan, why don't you kick it off? Thank you, Mariana. You know you put together a good land panel, Mariana, when Kay Rohani's in the audience looking Ooh. for information. Um, there was a lot of questions on Gene. A lot of, Keith, you mentioned your land oh price, actually, which you purchased and put into it. Um, could the other two gentlemen say what they purchased or at least what they think the infrastructure and the final price, land price, will be that you're placing on your properties? No. <laughs> <laughs> Check, please. Next, yeah, uh, yeah, I can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah. There's no mic to drop. <laughs> yeah. No, all in with the buying the casino, we were um, just over $7 a foot. Um, so um, that's kind of where we're at. We have some, some off sites, but like I said, the, there's an existing 600,000 gallon wastewater treatment plant that's already there and operational. Um, the water lines are in, the tanks are in. Um, we have two substations. So. Um, Hopefully that's, uh, we'll, we'll be a little more, we'll be a little above that, but hopefully that's where we'll, we'll be. So a couple of questions on Gene were the rail state, or the, is there going to be a rail station, the old jail, are you going to do any other uses besides industrial? Um, you know, we have water to do some uh, assembly, um, not enough to really go for big manufacturing, but we have some interest from some uh, folks out of Southern California in the assembly side of things. So um, that's, that's a use. The rail, we do have the Union Pacific Railroad there. There's a 20-acre parcel that Union Pacific has where they have some sidage in that, that that we could do some transloading on. Um, and then one of the other um, landowners out there, um, Leticia or Barry Global, uh, has, has a track there as well that they use for their industrial products. So there may be some opportunity to leverage that. And Outside of Doug, what kind of lease rates did you underwrite when you were going into this? Dollar a foot? No, um, no, we're we're at um, you know high seventies right now. Keith. So my comp isn't out there on SC Logistics. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna go the Doug route. I'm kind of enjoying that part. <laughs> No, I, you know, your market's changing. What we were yeah. quoting probably three months ago is probably 10 cents light, right? So from an underwriting perspective, it doesn't matter because we're already launched. So we're going to the market and the market is responding nicely uh, from a lease rate perspective. Now cap rates, not so much. Uh, so we don't know what the end looks like if we want to turn around and sell it. But certainly from a lease rate perspective, we're in a much better spot than we were when we bought the land a year and a half ago, and certainly much better than we were a year ago when we, you know, well, I guess seven months ago when we started construction. Doug, a lot of people here liked your Carlism of guessing, a lot of the developers. Do you have any Dougisms? Is the question. <laughs> I don't have original thought in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, I think a lot of it is, um, and there's, I think it's even on the internet, there's like 10 things, and I, I kind of memorized all things, and Carl as my mentor, of course, and he's 75, still active in the business, not as much as he was, but I, I think, I mean, I guess my only one that I can think of right now is, and I said this at, um, 
I, I don't say this for sympathy. I'd lost my dad about a month ago, so we had a service for him on Sunday. And one of the things I kind of drew upon is what he influenced my life, and one of them was, trust me to be honest, and trust me to be competent. I'm going to do my job, and I'm not going to screw you. It's basically what I'm going to say. So if, if you're honest and not competent, you doesn't do any good, and the other way around doesn't do any good. So that's when I kind of say the most when I meet somebody is, I'm going to treat you right, and I'm going to do the job you've hired me to do. Um, and, and then I pull the other Carlism is no dead bodies. Afterwards, there can't be anything. You can't have any gum on your shoes. That's a Dougism right there. I say that all the time. But it's, it's like I don't, he wants to make sure he sells a project, and he doesn't find out six months later you screwed something up and you didn't tell him. That's the worst thing, and my, my folks know the same thing. Don't, no dead bodies. I don't want to hear about something six months now. You deal with it right now. And if it's not pleasant, just get it on the table. It's good stuff, Doug. The, Great stuff. There's a couple general questions about tenant demand. You've touched it in each of your different ways, but how is this market hurting the pipeline of tenant demand? You, you said 80% of development projects, but can you guys touch on what you see tenants doing? Okay. Sure. It's all relative, right? So I would say that we have leasing meetings uh, every two weeks on all our projects in Phoenix, here in Vegas, uh, stuff that we've got in Colorado. So I would tell you from our leasing sheets of real prospects that by far our Southern Nevada calls are so much better than they are in, and Phoenix is, is probably a you know, pretty close second. So you know, a lot of these days, you know, three quarters of our deal sheet, it's unknown. You know, Project Astra, Project Beta, Project Zulu. It's, so you don't really know who those companies are. And a lot of them are multi-market searches. So we'll see the same million footer in Phoenix that we see here in Vegas and kind of watching some of that activity, but it's still activity. Uh, we do compete with the Phoenix market here in Southern Nevada, and I think we compete favorably just because we can catch a whole lot more of the population in a two-day drive for truckers than you can at Maricopa County. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's I, real tenant activity versus just the voracious tenant activity that was probably 12 and certainly 24 months ago. I don't think it's at that pace, but certainly we, our deal sheet's full. We got two or three pages here in, in Las Vegas. We've got a page and a half in Phoenix. A Denver project that we're working on is half a page. So we, we like the activity still. It's just, it's not the certainty without Amazon being out there. You know, they were 25% of the, the, the market three years ago. I'm not sure what the, that's general, but with them on the sideline, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different game, and it's just not uh, like it was two or three years ago, but it's certainly good activity, and we're, we're building spec. We've got, we've got one lease, we've got another 800 that we're gonna be uh, kicking off here in two months, so we're still bullish on the market because of that activity. So sorry, that was a 20-minute answer to a, a great answer. yes or no. You want me to answer too? Yeah, you can answer anywhere around the valley, Doug. You know everything, so. Well, I, I think I think in general it's actually pretty good. I, I I echo what Keith is saying. I think the activity here in Southern Southern California is softening, um, and that whether it's a harbinger of things coming here, I don't know. 
but I think some of it is, if you're making a long-term commitment, especially as manufacturing, you're probably thinking twice about staying in California anyway. So maybe that's forcing these folks to make a different decision. Reno, um, we've got two spec buildings going on the way there. One has a pre-lease on it, the other one has a partial pre-lease on it, because uh, the, you know, the actual buildings themselves, the number of buildings is pretty small, especially in Reno. But then I have 350 acres in, in North Valleys uh, to develop in the next couple of years. But um, I, I'm not at all uh, upset about the tenant activity. It's not the same as it was you know, a year ago or two years ago. But it's almost the first thing I ask every tenant or every broker, whether it's you know, Dan's team or Kevin's team, it's like, all right, what are you guys seeing? And we, we have a call this morning with Kevin's team and, and the, the way that they lay out the activity is it's pretty strong. Not great, like great, great, but it's strong, which that's all we look for. Listen. Yeah, I, I have nothing to add. <laughs> We're seeing the same thing. Tina Quigley wants high-paying manufacturing jobs, and she's blaming it all on you guys. <laughs> what, was, what was the first Sorry, one? Tina. <laughs> Tina at LVG. Tina Quigley. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Tina. <laughs> ah, there she is. <laughs> Warehousing, which I also can, am worried about, goes to you know eventually it goes more t towards um, autonomous um, and robotics and less employee-based. Thoughts? I, I think I think it's a it's a multi-layered answer. <laughs> we we as consumers want low-priced product, right? If you order from Amazon, it's more of a convenience factor. It may not be the low price, but you want that on your you don't want to go to the store or whatever it is, for, and especially if you're ordering for somebody else and you don't want to have to worry about shipping it. So it's a convenience issue, not just an economic issue. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of Walmart just because of, you know, I don't care for their stores. It's just me personally. I'm a more of a Target person because it's cleaner, the way it's laid out. But Walmart's whole thing is about low price, right? So if you have a low skill, low wage job in a, in a warehouse, it's a function of low price to the consumer. So on one hand, it costs the community, but it also keeps costs of living down to some degree where you're not paying the higher prices. We, we as landlords like sticky tenants. Sticky tenants mean they don't leave. So that would be a manufacturer or somebody of that degree. So I think, I think the education level and, and skill of our community, uh, both Reno and Las Vegas, it also has to do with the welcomeness of our community to that type of job. Um, obviously with things that they go through in California, because I've built there, I, I know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't make you feel like they want you there. And it's just so many hoops and so many people in your business all the time. You get visits from all kinds of, of agencies you've never heard of, and so they don't feel like they're appreciated. So I think it's a, it's a matter of, we don't have enough time to even address this, but the education level, the willingness of the community to accept them, and, and the continuing um, lack of support from California will only lead to more jobs like that here. And we have several in our portfolio. We have manufacturers in Reno that came in in that project that Keith was talking about. You know, probably. A third of the tenants, Mary's Gone Crackers makes crackers. That's the manufacturing. They, you know, it's bakery, but they, they actually produce the crackers. So it's a, it's a different changing environment for us. It's not the same buildings we used to build. That's for sure. They're not five people in a warehouse and working on forklifts. Much more complicated. Well, in those kind of jobs, too, just to 
kind of piggyback on what Doug's saying, it's not the old, your grandfather's warehouse is not today's warehouse. The logistics just inside the conveying systems and all the engineering that takes place inside those warehouses, it's not just some guy tooling around on a forklift. These are very sophisticated and, and they're little cities and they need operations to, to sustain. So there's a lot of high paying jobs within those warehouses that weren't there years ago. So it's, granted, there's still the minimum wage ones, but I would say today's warehousing is, you spend a little bit more time inside these, it's a pretty sophisticated, especially for West and East Coast distribution centers, you get a lot of them here in Southern Nevada. That's, that's sophisticated logistics, and those are high paying jobs because they're looking to get it to the customer as fast as they can. I'm gonna jump in here, Dan, really quick, because we're, we're right on time. Uh, but really quick, I just wanna extend, uh, I know Reed's gonna come up to close out, I wanna extend a big thank you to our panelists, Corey, Doug, and Keith, and uh, Schnitzer Pro Properties for being the program sponsor. The programs committee, Dan, our valiant chairman, <laughs> and the programs committee, thank you. John and Katrina for putting this amazing, all the logistics of this program together. And then I want to extend a very special recognition to Jen Levine, Mike Showit, Sean Zaher, Dan and Reed, who were really instrumental in helping me personally prepare for this. So thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.